Welcome again to the Sunday morning gathering of Redemption Hill Church here at 11. My name's Raymond, I'm one of the pastors here. It's always so great to be here with you guys. So go ahead, if you, if you have Bibles, go ahead and open those up now to James chapter one. We're studying the book of James together here on Sunday mornings. We're just going right through from beginning to end. So we left off last time in verse 21. We're gonna, we're gonna pick up now and do verses 22 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, we actually have some right behind you on a tray table, but right behind your section of seats. There's a, a table there with some Bibles. You can grab one of those and you're welcome to keep that as well as a gift from us to you. Now, I will pray and then we'll, we'll get going. I'll actually, I'll actually start reading in verse 19 and work down to verse 25, but we'll, we'll focus on verse 22 to 25. So let's do that now. We'll pray and then get going. Father, thank you so much for gathering us especially this chance to gather with our, our children, all of our children here as well at, at, at 11 o'clock. We pray that you would bless us, that we would hear your word this morning. Bless you, but not only hear, but as it says here, let's, let's actually move toward doing what it says. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, amen. Amen, all right, so James chapter one, starting in verse 19, actually. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man that looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray one more time. Lord, help us as we, as we think through what it is you just said and apply it to one very important aspect of our church's life together. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, where, where are all the kids? I brought something with me today. Kids, how many of you can tell me what this is? What is it? It is a bag. That's right. A bag, that's right. That's right. It's, it's, and it's even more than that this morning. This is actually a family Sunday survival kit. Parents, take notes. Family Sunday survival kit. And I have some things in here. What's this? Yes, yeah, a soccer ball. Now, now, when I was younger, like between the ages of nine and 15, I learned how to keep this ball in the air without it hitting the ground. And, and so now that I'm older and, and my body just doesn't work as well as it used to, now I've, I've learned how to keep it in the air without it hitting the ground too much. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you. So I, you know, I, I started out and we learn on the feet, use both feet, and then sometimes you'd, you'd use your thighs, and then eventually, you learn to use your head. All right? There are some things you just can't learn by hearing only. There's no way you can learn by simply hearing somebody tell you how to keep a ball in the air. If I looked at you and I said, hey look, if you want to keep the ball in the air, make sure that when you're using a certain part of your body, 
You use the middle of that part of your foot to hit the middle of the ball, and you, you make sure at the point of contact, your thigh is parallel to the ground, perpendicular to the, to the ball at the point of contact. It, it, all of that is true and wonderful scientifically. You would never be able to juggle a soccer ball like that. You actually have to do it to learn it. Some things you can't learn just by hearing only. You know, another thing you can't learn just by hearing is how to catch a Nilla wafer in your mouth. Yes, this is, I don't know if you all are going to get anything out of this sermon, but I, I'm certainly enjoying it. <laughs> it's so difficult that I, you know, it's actually helpful if you use a little bit of whipped cream. I had trouble making this thing work in the first service. Oh, there you go, smooth. All right, so look. I'm going to try to get this thing in my mouth, all right? Now, this is, watch carefully. (laughs) Never let that stop you from eating it. Let's try that again. What do you think, kids? You think I can do it? All right, here we go. All right. I forgot to pray last time. Why is everybody laughing? All right. Do I still have some on my face? I do. Well, I, I brought, it's a good thing I brought my mirror. Oh my goodness. You weren't kidding. Oh, well, good thing I brought my mirror. Is it, is it still there? It's still there. But I looked at my mirror. Was I supposed to do something more than just look at the mirror? What should I have done? I should do something about what I saw? I should wipe, wipe it off. My kids are always teaching me stuff. Let me, well, well, let's see. They'll teach me to mess with whipped cream. Well, it's not perfect, but not, I suppose it never was. All right. Well, like I said, there's some things we can't learn just by hearing. You can't learn how to juggle a soccer ball by hearing. You can't learn how to catch a Nilla wafer in your mouth just by hearing about it. You, you probably can't even do it even after someone shows you. But there's something much more important that we can't learn just by hearing. In fact, if all we do is hear God's word and we don't do anything based on what he's telling us, James tells us we end up deceiving ourselves. Look at verse 22. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he ends up deceiving himself and he's like somebody who looks at a mirror. How crazy is that? Just looking at the mirror to see that something is wrong but not really being moved to do anything about what you've seen. I mean, how many times as Christians do we do that? We just kind of look at the word of God and it shows us that something is desperately wrong about us and we, we agree with it. We're charmed by good teaching, but we're not changed. And that's not what God intends. No, God, God is actually trying to take us beyond the point of just hearing what he's saying 
all the way to what James says is persevering. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, perseveres to what end? To actually doing it, to doing what God is saying. All right, so this is very important. A lot of us are scared nowadays of talking about obedience or doing what God says. We have this aversion to any commands in the Bible because we think that we're, just by obeying or putting forth effort to obey what God is saying, we make the mistake of thinking we're falling into legalism, that somehow we're trying to earn our place with God by that obedience, but we're not. You're not necessarily doing that. You might just trust God enough to hear what he says and you, you want to display that trust by doing what he says. And that's a good thing. We don't want to lose sight of that. Now, one of the things you cannot learn just by hearing only is Christian character. Kids, you cannot learn really how to become like Jesus, which is what God wants for us, simply by hearing about it and not acting upon what you hear in the Bible. That's very important to remember. For instance, I can read 1 Corinthians 13 and it can tell me that love is patient and love is kind and I can memorize that and I can know it, I can be familiar with it, but it doesn't mean that I am patient and kind. Just because I know what is true and just because I remember or memorize what is true or, or just because I agree with what is true doesn't necessarily mean it's true about me. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see Christian character developed as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's another way to identify Christians. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we have devoted ourselves to learning. That's what a disciple does. We have devoted ourselves to learning from a master teacher. Our master teacher is Jesus. Now, he's much more than that, but he is at least that, our master teacher. And what is he teaching us? Well, he's teaching us himself. He's teaching us his way of life, of pure devotion to God, our heavenly father, our maker. He's, he's teaching us how to relate to God properly. He's teaching us how to celebrate and love the right things. He's teaching us how to relate to each other properly. He's teaching us how to relate to everything God has made properly. We're learning that from him, and you can't learn that just from hearing. We're learning to become like Jesus. The goal for the disciple of Jesus Christ is not simply to know what Jesus knows, it is to become like our teacher. And that takes much more than just staring, staring at a mirror or staring at a Bible. We are learning to become like Jesus in everything that we think, in everything that we say, in everything that we do, and most importantly, in everything that we love beneath the surface and in our hearts because we can think, we can say, and we can do a lot of the right things, but what we love will truly drive all of that. So now, what I want us to do with the rest of our time is I want us to simply hear what God says. Here, beginning in James chapter one, but then what he says about a very specific aspect of our life together as a church. Namely, how we take the gospel and impart it to the youngest people in this room, to our children. Before we get there, I want you to notice something James says. James actually speaks in, in verse 24 and 25. He talks about someone looking at the perfect law of liberty. Now, you and I don't usually put law and liberty in the same place. Law and freedom. We think about law as constraints, rules, boundaries that we long to be free from. You know, but, but there's a kind of freedom that only comes by accepting the nature that God has given you, by, by realizing that God has made you a certain way and he's created you to exist and to thrive only in a very certain environment. For instance, God made fish, did he not? Kids, did God make fish? God made fish. God made fish and God made people. Let's start with the fish. God made fish 
And the way he made them, he created them to live and to thrive in water. What happens to fish if they get out of that water? They, they die. See, can you imagine the fish? Suppose there was a fish who was in a bowl in some water in your house, and the fish was looking at you playing on the carpet, and the fish was just sitting there saying, ah, I can't believe God put me in this little box. Why would God do that? Well, God, God is not very good. He's not nice. Why would he restrict me and try to keep me in this little water? Look at those kids over there. They get to run around on the carpet or hardwood floors if you like that better carpet sometimes, you know. But it, look at them. Why can't I? I just, oh, I just want to be free from this, this boundary and these, these restrictions, this water, and I want to go flap on the living room carpet with the kids. Well, there's a problem, right? That fish is not a child. That fish is not a human being. That fish is made a certain way to only thrive in the environment that God created it to thrive, water. You know, if you've ever seen that, that movie Frozen, Disney, you, then you, you know about Olaf, the snowman. How many of you have seen that movie? Yes, Olaf, Olaf had a problem. Olaf did not seem to realize he was a snowman and that snowmen can only survive in a certain environment because of how they're made. So Olaf had this great dream of being free and he thought freedom was the complete absence of rules and restrictions and boundaries. And he, he said, oh, I just can't wait to be in summer. Bees will buzz. Kids will blow dandelion fuzz. And I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. With a drink in my hand, my snow up against the burning sand, probably getting gorgeously tan in summer. He dreamed. He said, I'll finally get to see a summer breeze blow away a winter storm and find out what happens to frozen water when it gets warm. Oh, winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman. No, you're gonna be a puddle. You're a snowman. You're not made for heat. And listen, human beings are not made to thrive in any, in any environment other than a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ obedience to God, that's the only place God created us to live and to thrive. Anywhere else is self-destructive. All right, so let's move on and, and let's keep that in mind as we talk about now how to help the next generation of human beings. Our children in this church move along the path that God would have them to move. Lifelong discipleship, following Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we do that. Amen. Now, I'm gonna start with this quote and work my way to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through seven, and then when we get there, we're just gonna let the word of God do its work, and I'll show you three things that God wants to teach us this morning. Listen to this quote. Whether you agree with this first statement or not is not the big deal, but somebody said this, I don't know who it is. Robert gave it to me, so I'll credit Robert with it for now, and then in like three times, I'll, I'll just claim it as my own, but here, here we go. The most important task we have, or at least one of the most important tasks we have as a church is to teach the next generation, the gospel. And inheritance is what you leave behind for future generations. So when a church thinks about what it is leaving behind for their city, their nation, their world, they shouldn't be thinking about ministry plans and buildings per se, but children. Children, the children in this church are the first ones that God has given us for the gospel to reach them and they are the inheritance that we are leaving behind for others. So our primary responsibility toward our children is to teach them the gospel and to equip them to teach it to others. This is the most important task any parent has 
And I don't exaggerate in saying it is the most important task of any church. Yet here's what we know statistically. 70% of the children who grow up in a church like Redemption Hill and who grow up in homes represented by the people we see here this morning walk away from Christ and the church when they graduate from high school. I've been working with college students for the past 12 years of my life. I watched the incoming class of freshmen over those past 12 years and I can tell you that that statistic is true. You interview them and find out what their upbringing was and they are not only walking away from Christ and the church, they are excited to do so. They finally think they're free to flap around in that very dangerous world of of pleasures they know nothing about. Now here's my question for us. What is going to become of the children in this church when they reach that age? As they move from the cradle to the campus, as they move from infancy to adulthood, what's going to happen to the kids in this room today? Who will they be? What will they become as they go into the world as adults? What sort of convictions will they have? What sort of character will they have? What sort of competence will they display to take the truth of the gospel and the word of God to other people, to their friends, their relatives? What, what sort of competence will they display when it comes to defending their hope before an unbelieving world or a professor that is bent on proselytizing and converting them to an atheistic or secular way of thinking? What will happen to the children in this church? And as far as it depends upon us, what role will you and I play in their development? What will their development and progress look like at every stage of their lives along the way? And that's what we want to see this morning. With the rest of our time, we want to hear what God says about our roles in their lives as parents and as a supporting church. We're gonna see three things. The first is this. The Bible tells us that believing parents are called to be the primary teachers of the gospel to their children. Believing parents are called to be the primary teachers of the gospel to their children. Look at Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through seven. Hear, O Israel, that's our first responsibility, to hear, but to not hear only. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them to your children diligently, or, or you shall teach them to your children and not just teach them, but teach them how? Diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And, and of course, with technology, we, we, we understand that includes now when you drive in a car, when you lie down and when you rise. And you and I will either hear that word only or we will persevere and say, Lord, what does it look like for me to talk with my children about you and your wondrous works and what you've done for us in Christ, what it means for who we are and how we should live, how will I speak about the gospel and give my, my children a chance to see all of life through the lenses of the gospel when they rise? What will I say? When they're going to lie down, what will I say? Judah can understand more than you know. What, what will we say as we're driving along in the car or walking along on the way together, when we're sitting down in our homes, will we even sit down together in our homes around a dinner table or that sort of a thing? See, it, what will we say when we have these opportunities? God really cares about that. Let's look at Psalm chapter 78, verses five through seven. Psalm 78 shows us again that parents 
The first generation is called to be the primary teachers of the gospel to the next, and so on and so on. Psalm 78, verse five through seven, he, that is the Lord, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And chief among the works of God is the gospel. Again, what he has done for us through Christ in having Christ take our place on the cross, suffering the penalty that we deserve for the lives that we have chosen to live, and then rising from the dead to offer us new life and hope to be with him and his Father in heaven forever and ever through the Spirit, amen. Psalm 78 tells us again that parents are called to teach children. Look at Genesis 18, verse 19. Now, rarely does God ever tell us why he chooses somebody, but he does it in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. And he says there about Abraham, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Do you see that? That's why I chose Abraham, that he would actually do what I want done in transferring everything I consider to be supremely true and valuable to the next generation. Abraham, I have called you and chosen you that you might command your children and your household after you to keep the way of the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 4. Robert touched on this earlier. Ephesians 6 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Over and over and over again, the Bible reminds us that parents are called to be the primary teachers of the gospel and the word of God to their children. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I was deeply convicted reading that because I have to, I have to admit and realize that sometimes when my children are angry, it is my fault. And it's okay as parents to admit that and to look at your children and say, you know, that was my fault, please forgive me. It wasn't a sin what you were doing, it was just annoying. I didn't like it, and it made me angry because it was getting in the way of something else I wanted to do. And, and that's unrighteous anger. It's the anger of man that does not produce the righteousness of God. And it's, it's right and fitting for us as parents to apologize and to repent before God and our children when we do that. And I often have to do that. My kids are right back there, and they can tell you I'm not making that up. So you can see in God's plan that believing parents are called to be the primary teachers of the gospel to their children. Point number two, the church is called to be a partner with those believing parents in teaching their children the gospel. And, and in two ways, the church is to simply come alongside and support what parents are doing in the home, and the church has a very vital ministry directly to the children themselves. You'll see all of this in Ephesians, starting in verse, verse four. Indirectly, Jesus has given the church, chapter four, verse 11 through 13, Jesus has given the church gifted ministers. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So all of the believers, all of the saints are to be equipped by the church for the work of ministry, and that includes the vital work of ministry to your children at home and teaching them the gospel. So the church is partnering with parents in doing that, but the church also speaks directly to children. And sometimes we create opportunities for that, like our kids' classrooms on most Sundays. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and you can see this very clearly. The church, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and he says, children, all the children, look at me. Parents, you, you can thank me later. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it might go well with you and that you might live long in the land that God is giving you. So children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now notice the church is speaking directly to the children there, is it not? So the partnering with parents is not always indirect. Sometimes the church directly speaks to the children as it should. But notice, even in that, it assumes that the parents are speaking first. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, which means what? Your parents must have said something to you or there would be nothing to obey. So parents, again, you're called to be speaking to your own children at home and the church is a partner with you as you teach your own children the gospel there in that first learning environment. And finally, the last thing this means is when we say the church is called to partner with parents in this endeavor, we mean everybody. So everyone look up, say, that's me too. Just making sure you're awake. Yes, that's you too. That's me and that's you too. Now, we can see this clearly. No one is left out of this. Look at Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 14. We're beginning to close, which you know is much different than actually closing, but we're, we're beginning to get there. In Hebrews three, verses 12 through 14, this is what we read. Take care, brothers, and that word brothers there is not gender specific. It actually is a term that includes everybody. Take care, brothers, that's the, tr- the Bible's way of saying Hey, everybody, everybody, I'm talking to you, everybody. Take care, put effort in the direction of what God is saying, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Redemption Hill Church, look at me, every single one of us, take care, everyone, take care, lest there be anyone in this room that is in that 70% of people who fall away from Christ by the time they graduate from high school. The whole church is to take care. God wants 100% of our children to love him, to serve him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, following him as his disciples all the way through life. And it is going to take 100% of the church to see 100% of the children get there. Take care, lest there be any of you, that includes the children, that falls away, but exhort one another every day so that none of you including the children, would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, for time's sake, here's what we're going to do. We have heard that parents are called to be the primary teachers of the gospel to their children, that the church is called to be a partner with parents in teaching the gospel to their children, and that that means that every single one of us has a vital role to play. Now, we have an option here. We can either just hear that and do nothing else, and deceive ourselves into thinking that that's actually true of us? Or we can persevere beyond simply hearing what God just said to doing something about it. Now which one do you want? Now see, you're too afraid to give the wrong answer. You may actually want the first one, but you know that you should say, especially since you're here in church this morning, you should say that you want to do something about it. That may not be true, but you know you should say it anyway. Well, here, so here's what we're, I'm being serious. You guys, are, you guys are looking at me like I have whipped cream on my eyes. We're gonna give you an opportunity to take a step in the direction of doing something about what we just heard. And just to simplify it, I'm only going to give you one. Come next week at nine o'clock a.m. to be a part of this 
9 o'clock service. And then at 11 o'clock, join us for our very next Redemption Hill Kids Volunteer Training for Teachers. You can take one more step in the direction of doing your part to help these children become the lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ that God intends for them to become if you do that one very simple thing. Amen, I got, I got somebody. Let's just talk to you. You can do the net, the, just one step. And it is going to take sacrifice. It is, it, is, it is not going to be easy. But it is going to be so great. And it is, I mean, it, it, you, you're gonna have so much joy on this past stuff you can't, even, you can't even understand yet. You don't know the joy you're going to have in 10 years when one of these kids graduates is faithfully walking with Christ and part of it was because you helped to teach them on Sunday mornings and you committed to praying for them like Epaphras in, in Colossians 4.12 that they would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You have no idea what that's going to do for you. All right, but let's pray and let's ask God to help us. In just a moment, we're gonna be taking communion as a believing church. All right, so if you're passing out the elements or you're playing, you can come up and you do that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna end by showing us one more time why we do all of this in the first place. Aren't you glad that Jesus was not simply a hearer of God's word? Aren't you glad that he didn't simply hear what the Bible said and then, and then do nothing about it? For instance, think about your life and mine if Jesus simply heard Isaiah 53, verse four through six. Listen to this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Christ, the iniquity of us all. What if Jesus only heard about or read about bearing our burdens and sorrows? What if he didn't persevere to the point of taking up the cross, dying in our place under the judgment and wrath of God, when he had no sin of his own, but freely took upon himself our sins? and paid for the lives that you and I have chosen to live instead, dishonoring God? What if Jesus simply was a hearer of the word and not a doer only? Where would we be? We are learning as disciples of Jesus Christ to not simply know what he knows, not simply hear what he says or to hear what he hears, but to become like him in all that we think, all that we say, all that we do, and all that we love. And right now as a church, that's going to propel many of us to take a step in the direction of transferring this gospel that we love and know and cherish to the next generation of those smiling faces sitting in the room with us right now or yawning faces, whatever the case may be. Let's take a moment, let's pray to God to help us do that together as a church, remembering the great Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We just wanna thank you in, in the best way we know how. By coming together as a believing church now and receiving these reminders of your grace toward us, your body broken, your blood poured out so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our relationship with you could be healed, that your body was broken so that our relationship with you could be put back together. And we celebrate that now 
as those who have already come to you in faith and entrusted our very lives to you. And for those who have not yet done that, we understand, Lord, that there are some perhaps among us who have not yet come to that place in their lives. We ask that you would do something special for them now, that as they see the church rising and proclaiming in this special way the death of our Lord Jesus Christ by which we are justified and saved in your sight, until he returns, we pray that they would see that and that the proclamation of our words and of our very bodies as we come forward in receiving this communion now, that that this would speak to them and that they would, as, as 1 Corinthians 14 says, that they would fall on their faces even and proclaim that God is truly among us. That they too might know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and grow in the grace and knowledge of him from here on out. We ask this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.